welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers podcast. We're your host. I'm Amy. And I'm Emma. Thank you for joining us today. So based on our feedback from our Twitter and Facebook polls, today's episode is about witches and haunted houses, or specifically witches that haunt houses. So, keeping with the witch concept, we are drinking some witch's brew. The recipe for it can be found on both our Facebook and Twitter pages and in the episode description, but for those of you who are just listening and might want to try it later, you will need um, Midori Melon. Yep. Is it just, just equal regular. parts? Yeah. Is this equal parts? The, res- the recipe's right there. You oh. need. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, orange juice, lemon lime soda, so like Sprite, 7-Up, whatever. And Midori Melon Liqueur. Um, exact measurements are two and a half ounces of Midori, two and a half ounces of orange juice, and two and a half ounces of uh, lemon lime soda. But I think we put a little more than that. I think we might add a little more soda. Soda, just to like get a fuller drink instead of just a sipper. Um, but you mix it all together. Nope, not all of it. But the soda, you don't want to shake that because you don't want to shake soda. It'll either make a mess or your carbonation will be gone and it'll taste horrible and you'll have wasted <laughs> your delicious your drink. liquor. Um, and you chill it in a shaker if you have one of those. We do, but maybe some people yeah. don't. You can just pour it in a just glass pour it and, together sh- and to make sure it's it. cold. Yeah, And you pour it into a martini glass. We have wine glasses. <laughs> we use the same glasses yeah, most, at most, most times. Time. And then you add soda once it's in the glass. Um, so once again, so it doesn't explode. Yeah, I would not shake that. And we have a winner for a drink today. It is freaking delicious. It is I good. love it. And it's a really cool, like green ogre green color, kind of like Shrek in a cup. Yeah, I've been having like serious orange juice obsessions lately. So very yummy. I know we did it for witches, but I could see that being a yummy summertime cocktail. Yeah, it's very refreshing. Refreshing. Okay, so on today's topic, witches, I wanted to do something that felt really connected to Halloween. And I had considered before I even put the poll up of doing the Bell Witch. And it was specifically mentioned to us from one of our listeners, Carl. Hi, Carl. So that is what I started with. I think Carl and I are kind of on the same page when it comes to our spooky um, spooky things. <laughs> yeah. He has a lot of suggestions and it's things that we have written down for future episodes. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, please send them to us. Um, do you know much about the Bell Witch story? It's one of the yeah, scariest ones. Yeah, a little ones. bit. Not a lot, but just the basics probably. Okay. Not too much detail. It's a really... I know who she is. Right. I'll say that. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Okay, so the Bell Witch story inspired a lot of different movies. Um, the Bell Witch... Or Bell Witch... Blair Witch Project is said to be inspired by that, but they also created their own witch for that story. Uh, An American Haunting. Some other movies. And there are several Bell Witch movies that you can watch. I haven't seen any of them, so I didn't want to recommend them. I'm not sure if they're any good. Blair Witch is awesome. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. The Bell Witch has been a part of American folklore since the early 19th century when the Bell family of Robertson County, Tennessee, reported to be attacked by an unseen entity. 
These attacks are documented from 1817 to 1821. The Bellwitch family prior to the haunting in the early 1800s was John Bell, and he moved his family from North Carolina to the Red River bottomland in Robertson County, Tennessee, like I said. They settled in the Red River community, which later became the present-day Adams, Tennessee. Bell purchased some land and a large house for his family. Over the next several years, he acquired more land, increasing his holdings to 328 acres, which is quite a lot, and cleared a number of fields for planting. He also became an elder of the Red River Baptist Church. John and his wife Lucy Bell had three more children after moving to Tennessee, and the Bells were said to have had a very happy and successful early life at the Red River Settlement. One day in 1817, John Bell was inspecting his cornfield when he encountered a strange-looking animal sitting in the middle of a corn row. Shocked by the appearance of this animal, which had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit, do we have an animal that currently, like a cryptid that is supposed to be like that? No, when I see, or when I hear uh, strange-looking animals in the middle of corn, I automatically think Skinwalker. Oh yeah, maybe. Scary. Um, Bell was obviously scared and shot several times at the animal, but he didn't hit it. The animal vanished. This was the first documented manifestation of what they are considered to be the same entity. Bell didn't think anything more of the incident, at least not until after dinner. That evening, the family began hearing beating sounds on the outside walls of their log home. The mysterious sounds continued with an increased frequency and force each night. Bell and his sons often hurried outside to catch the culprit, but always returned empty-handed. In the weeks that followed, the Bell children began waking up frightened, complaining that rats were gnawing at their bedposts. That would be incredibly frightening. Just be annoying, too. Yeah, I'm trying to sleep. (laughs) Not long after that, the children began complaining of having their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed onto the floor by a seemingly invisible entity. As time went on, the bells began hearing faint whispering voices. They were too weak to understand, but sounded like a feeble old woman singing hymns. The encounters escalated and the bell's youngest daughter, Betsy Bell, began experiencing brutal encounters with the invisible entity. It would pull her hair and slap her relentlessly, often leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. The disturbances, about which John Bell had vowed his family to secret, finally escalated to the point that he shared his, quote, family trouble with his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnston. So he shared it with Mr. Johnston, and he decided he was going to come over and investigate. Skeptical at first, Johnston and his wife spent the night at the Bell home. Things began peacefully. But once they retired for the evening, they were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances that the Bells had been experiencing. After their bed covers were yanked off and James was slapped, he sprang out of bed exclaiming, In the name name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? The entity did not respond. The rest of the night was peaceful. The next morning, Mr. Johnston explained to the Bells that the culprit was likely an evil spirit, the kind like the Bible talks about. That's kind of a vague description, but like a demon. I would I would think that's I mean, what he was only, thinking. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're in Midnight Mass World, an angel. A <laughs> <laughs> blood sucking angel. <laughs> the entity's voice strengthened over time and became loud and unmistakable. It sang hymns, quoted scripture, carried on intelligent conversations, 
and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. Word of the supernatural phenomenon soon spread outside the settlement, even to Nashville, where then Major General Andrew Jackson became interested in the so-called Bell Witch. John Bell Jr., along with his brothers, Drury Bell and Jesse Bell, had fought under General Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. New Orleans. A few years later, in 1819, Jackson heard about the disturbances at the Bell home and decided to pay a visit and investigate. As Jackson's entourage, consisting of several men, well-groomed horses, and a large wagon, approached the Bell property, the wagon jolted to a sudden stop. It had become stuck in a muddy creek bed, and the horses were unable to pull it. At least, that was what the men thought. After several minutes of cursing and trying to coax the horses into pulling the wagon, Jackson complained, proclaimed, Lord have mercy. Let me start that over. After several minutes of cursing and trying to coax the horses into pulling the wagon, Jackson proclaimed, By the eternal boys, that must be the bell witch. Then suddenly, a disembodied female voice told Jackson that they could proceed and that she would see them again later that evening. They were then able to proceed across the property up up the lane to the Bell home. That evening, Jackson told old war war stories while his entourage set up their tents in John and Lucy Bell's yard. One of the men claimed to be a, quote, witch tamer, which I don't know what the hell that means made it up she's lying (laughs) is what it means after several uneventful hours he pulled out a shiny pistol and proclaimed that its silver bullet would kill any evil spirit that it came into contact with this is pre-horror movie i see i yeah he went on to say that the reason nothing had happened to them was because whatever had been haunting the bells was quote scared of his silver bullet i'm sure she was Immediately, the man screamed and began jerking his body in different directions, complaining that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. A strong, swift kick to the man's posterior region, so his bootay, from an invisible foot sent him out the front door. Angry, the entity spoke up and announced that there was yet another, quote, fraud in Jackson's party and that she would identify him the following evening. So the bell witch called his bluff and said, you are no witch tamer, buddy. How do we, like, know this? Was it, like, recorded, like, in a journal? Or just hearsay, word of mouth? Like, how do we know there's these some, things? There's some different ideas behind that. Some people say that, like, Jackson himself told this story. And other people claim that it was completely made up. Yeah. Well, because, like, the way that it's reading to me feels very just, like, fairy tale. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. I don't know. I'm going to... No one ever, I don't think anyone ever asked him, and I also don't think that had they asked him, he would have admitted to it, because it kind of makes him look a little out there. Yeah, I'd say so. And if you're trying to be a rising general, you're not going to be like, well, guess what we did last night? We did this place and did some witch hunting. Heard disembodied voices. Yeah, like, what the hell are you talking about, dude? Now terrified, Jackson's men begged to leave the Bell Farm. Jackson insisted on staying. He wanted to know who the other, quote, fraud was. The men eventually went outside to sleep in their tents while continuously begging Jackson to leave. What happened next is not clear. But Jackson and his entourage were spotted in nearby Springfield early the next morning. Going back to Nashville, some allege that Jackson later proclaimed, quote, 
I would rather fight the British at New Orleans than fight the Bell Witch. So that's it for Andrew Jackson and his men. They never came back. Over time, Betsy Bell became interested in Joshua Gardner, a young man who lived nearby. With the blessings of their parents, they decided to marry. Everyone was happy about their engagement. Well, almost everyone. The evil, mysterious entity became furious and repeatedly ordered Betsy not to marry Joshua. Betsy and Joshua's former school teacher, Professor, Professor Richard Powell, had been noticeably interested in Betsy for some time and had expressed interest in marrying her when she became older. By some accounts, Powell, who was 11 years Betsy's senior, was a student of the occult, ventriloquism, a mathematical genius, and a well-versed horticulturalist and geologist. He was secretly married to a woman in nearby Nashville, Esther Scott. During the time he lived and taught school at Red River and perceived as a happy-go-lucky bachelor and expressed his unwavering fondness for Betsy Bell. According to early accounts, Powell politely expressed his disappointment with Betsy's engagement to Joshua and wished her a long, prosperous marriage. But some people think he might have been behind the Bell Witch with all the ventriloquism and things like that, but it seems a little bit far-fetched. Do far they think he was a student of the occult because he was a ventriloquist? I, I don't know. Like, what would ventriloquism have to do with the Bell Witch? The throwing of the voice and things like that and the fact that she... Did they um, ever see him? No, but they never saw the Bell Witch either. So. Okay, that is the most absurd I know, but I've it was mentioned, heard. so it had to be thrown in here. Yeah. Betsy and Joshua could not go to the river, the fields, or the cave to play without the entity nagging them. The constant pressure was more than Betsy could handle, and on Easter Monday of 1821, she met Joshua at the river and broke off the engagement. The, disturbance, the disturbances decreased after Betsy and Joshua's engagement ended, but the entity continued to express her disdain for John Bell, relentlessly vowing to kill him. She straight up hated this dude. Bell had been experiencing episodes of twitching in his face and difficulty swallowing for almost a year, and the malady grew worse with time. By the fall of 1820, his declining health had confined him to the house, where the malicious entity continuously removed his shoes when he tried to walk and slapped his face when he re was recovering from his numerous seizures. Her shrill voice was heard all over that farm, cursing and chastising old Jack Bell, the nickname she had given him. John Bell breathed his last breath on the morning of December 20th, 1820, after slipping into a coma a day earlier. Immediately after his death, his family found a vial of strange black liquid in the cupboard. John Jr. sprinkled two drops on the cat's tongue. The cat jumped up in the air, rolled over in midair, and was dead when it hit the floor. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah. The entity Do then... your own tongue, John. <laughs> the entity then exclaimed... I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. John Jr. tossed the mysterious vial into the fireplace. It burst into a bright blue flame and shut up the chimney. So then things get kind of crazy. I'm, I'm what the hell you got me listening to? <laughs> <laughs> this is literally like Hansel and Gretel. Kind of. She is a witch. John Bell's funeral was one of the largest ever held in Robertson County, Tennessee. People attended from... <laughs> That was the Bell Witch, sorry. That was the <laughs> Bell Witch's phone. People attended from miles away, and three preachers, two Methodists, and one Baptist eulogized him. As the crowd of mourners began leaving the graveyard, the Bell Witch entity laughed and sang a song about a bottle of brandy. 
Her fervent singing didn't stop until the last mourner had left the graveyard. The entity's presence was almost non-existent after John Bell's demise, as though it had fulfilled its purpose. In April of 1821, shortly after Betsy Bell had broken off her engagement, the entity visited John Bell's widow, Lucy Bell, and told her that it was leaving but would return in seven years. The entity did indeed return in 1828 as promised. Most of the return visits centered on John Bell Jr., with whom the entity discussed the origin of life, civilizations, Christianity, and the need for a major spiritual awakening. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of particular significance were its predictions of the Civil War and other major events, some of which she did not get correct, but a lot she did. She had really profound predictions. The entity bade farewell, farewell after three weeks, promising to visit John Bell's most direct descendants in 107 years. The year would be 1935 when she returned, and the closest living direct descendant at the time was Nashville's physician, Dr. Charles Bailey Bell, a neurologist and John Bell Sr.'s great-grandson. In 1934, Dr. Bell published a book about the Bell Witch, likely to raise the awareness of the spirits impending return. The book contains the first ever account of the alleged conferences between the entity and John Bell Jr. in 1828. The author's father, Dr. John Thomas Bell had allegedly taken notes during the conferences and upon his death passed them down to Dr. Charles Bailey Bell. He then published no follow-up to his book in his 1934 book and he died in 1945. He is also buried in the Bellwood Cemetery in Adams, Tennessee. So some people say that she did not actually return, that they're not sure, or that if she did, they weren't aware of it. But there's a lot of people that think that she never really left that place. There's an entity that's been tormenting that area repeatedly. Anytime anything bad happens, they blame it on the Bell Witch. It's like this notorious thing that happens. So, any thoughts right now? It sounds incredibly fake. <laughs> that's my only thought. I mean, there's parts of it that I think sound really fake, and I put a lot of information into a short amount of space because I could have done a 20 minute long intro. I mean, I there's think it's lots just of my info. own personal like bias that comes through when I hear like word of mouth stories being told from way back when that just sound absurd. And there's no way to prove it. Right. And I mean, a big portion of life back then was like storytelling and writing stuff down, but they did say that like he tried to keep it a secret because I'm sure mm -hmm. that they thought that if it got out to the town that they were hearing and experiencing that, then people would probably think they were crazy. There's and a lot of not want to talk to him anymore. There's a lot of theories surrounding why they think he did that too. Um, there's some people that think that the Bell Witch was actually a woman he had an affair with that he cast aside and that she had taken her own life, and so she that's why she was so vicious to him. But don't you think she would have told? Like, I, I feel like she wasn't really holding back. I know, for sure. I feel like she probably would have let that slip. She was also rumored to have been very, very kind to his wife. And when she was being super mean to him and all the other, and Betsy, because she hated Betsy as much as she hated John, it didn't make any sense. She would oftentimes, like, tell John Bell's wife how great of a lady she was and, like, rub her hair and do things. It's kind of jacked up that she was harassing the children and tormenting the whole family, but was like, oh, you're my girl. I just guess I don't know what it would be. 
like physically because in my mind witches are like actual human mm-hmm. beings like it's not like they're just some figment some right i mean obviously if you're looking at like blair witch in that context where it's like this entity that's just lived in one central location for a long time and like manifests itself in acts instead of like physical ways and i think that's why they often say that the blair witch project was taken from this because it wasn't it's not like they ever saw her. Right. And it's not like it was a witch who was burned at the stake right. or hanged. And then no. you knew that they were coming and it was more so over. like a legend that was true. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. So either way, there have been reports for um, about 200 years of torment and phenomenon going on in that area. There have been numerous theories put forth but they've all been debunked so lots of people have tried to say oh well i think it was this but that has never happened sorry my phone's doing somewhere the um let's see however most researchers agree that something had to have caused the accidents at red river in the early 1800s that gave rise to the bell witch legend as we know it today several incidents occurred near the northwest corner of the bell farm where the bell witch cave is located the cave incident involved a little boy who accidentally got his head stuck between two rocks. So this little boy was just playing. So there's a place now called the Bell Witch Cave, and it's right by the Bell Farm, and it's known to be really haunted. This little boy was playing and got his head stuck between two rocks, and he was yelling for a long time for someone to help him, and nobody physically ever came. It is said that the entire cave lit up, and an invisible force grabbed him by his legs and pulled him out to safety. This is like a personal account of the little boy. His head was freed and he was pulled all the way through the cave entrance by somebody that referred to herself as Kate. There is also other history associated with the cave and they're trying to restore it into a um, historic site. So you can actually tour this area and go around there. I just want to mention this part because I think you accidentally skipped Uh it. But um, as far as like unexplained manifestations that occur near the bell farm today people claim that they hear faint sounds of people talking Mm. and children playing can sometimes be heard in the area when i'm assuming there's no one around and it's not uncommon to see candle lights dance through the dark fields late at night so i'm assuming they just see like flickering Mm -hmm. flames um photography is especially difficult some pictures taken in the area show mist orbs of light and other phenomena including human-like features or figures who were not present when the pictures were taken. So, people ask, could these phenomena be related to the haunting of John Bell's family? Yeah, thank you for catching that. I don't know what's going on with my phone. I have my notes I think on it's here. it's you. It's not. My phone is jumping around doing weird things. So, I apologize. It's a rough one today. You're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, all over the place. My phone is jumping all over the dang place. It's okay. That's why I'm here. Yeah. That's why we make a good team. You keep me centered. <laughs> Okay, so this next story is a very short one, but I had to include it because Emma made me listen to this Russian death metal song in her car the other day called Baba Yaga. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking up witches, Baba Yaga is a Russian witch. Did you know that? Yeah. All my metal fans will know. Slaughter to Prevail, shout out. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, huh. So I kept that secret so you would know that I was paying attention when you were... I actually liked it. It was kind of good stuff. (laughs) It's crazy, but it's fun. So, Baba Yaga is an old witch who can be either fearsome and scary or the heroine of a tale, and sometimes she manages to be both. 
Described as having teeth of iron and a frightfully long nose, Baba Yaga lives in a hut on the edge of the forest, which can move around on its own. Her hut can move around on its own and is depicted as having the legs of a chicken. So they're kind of cute. There are pictures. You can look them up online. We'll put some on our um, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And it, I think, is where Bugs Bunny cartoons kind of got a little bit of their witch stuff. Because I remember at one point watching Bugs Bunny and the cute little witch had like a house <coughs> running around on chicken legs. Was, was it like, kind of like, was it Roz? When her feet were under the house? Um, no. It's literally like just chicken feet and the hut is running around on the chicken feet. <laughs> um, Baba Yaga does, oh, hold on. Her fence is topped with human skulls, which is gross and creepy. Baba Yaga does not fly on broomsticks like other folklore witches do. Instead, she rides in a giant mortar, which she pushes along with an equally large pestle, rowing it almost like a boat. She sweeps the tracks away from behind her with a broom made of silver birch. So she does have a broom, but she doesn't ride it. Why did she decide that she wants her travel device to be a mortar and pestle? I don't know. Because she she's a Russian. Lot? Come on. In general, no one knows whether Baba Yaga will help or hinder those who seek her out. Often bad people get their just desserts through her actions, but it is not so much that she wishes to rescue the good as it is that evil brings its own consequences. And Baba Yaga is simply there to set, set these punishments in action and see them melted, meted out. She's also known to steal, cook, and eat her victims, which are usually children. So you said Hansel and Gretel earlier, and I actually really thought about that when I was reading this. She often is said to accompany death on his travels and devouring the newly released souls after they have died. So when you listen to that death metal song, <sighs> that's what you're listening to. And actually, it makes perfect sense having heard that song. Yeah, that, and the fact that they're Russian. Yeah. So there's your There's Baba, letting it all out. There's your Baba Yaga <laughs> knowledge. Anything you want to add to that before we take a break and get to our last story? Nope. No? All right. Do you think she's known to cook and eat her victims because she's in a mortal mortar and pestle? Maybe. I, she's she's like grinding them like a freaking, <laughs> what are those called? A poultice? No, what are those stupid drinks that I hate with mint in? Oh, the muddler? Like a um, mojito? Yeah, you gotta like grind your mint leaves in your mojito. Yeah. I, That's what Baba Yaga's doing. Maybe. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> she's riding around in a mortar and pestle and then lands yeah, next to her chicken house <laughs> the pictures of her though she is terrifying she is well, they very said she has iron teeth that's very very horrifying. scary very hag-like in her rude days. well i mean hags are witches you. don't say that <laughs> before we go to break we have to talk about real quickly so last night i watched um 30 days of night the vampire movie with josh hartnett with uh my son and his brother and after it was over, we're sitting here. It was like three in the morning. It was pretty late. And he went upstairs and I stayed in the basement. His bedroom's quite a bit away from where I was. And usually you can't hear things super well from place to place. Kid you not, the most blood curdling screech. It was like a screech scream. Sound like a, like a, a sound a big cat would make. Like echoed through the whole entire house. He came running downstairs as I was running up to see if he heard it. And he wanted to know if I heard it. It was terrifying. I still have no idea what in the hell that was. Bobcat. 
I mean, we did see that bobcat, but I don't think bobcats are nocturnal. I don't know. It was scary, and you know I was really scared. I was so scared that I made Emma call me when she was on her way home from work so I could meet her at the front door <laughs> so she didn't get snatched by Russian vampires that were flying. <laughs> it was it sounded just like the vampires in that story. It was so scary. So either Caleb and I are losing our minds together or we have some really nasty-sounding bobcat spirit hanging around screaming at us. So you both. Maybe. You said it was in the house, so... It sound, it, I don't know. My, it was scary. Well, that being said, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to bring you the story of the Rougarou from New Orleans. And we're back with the story of the Rougarou. We're back from to our cryptid corner. Yay! This is one of my favorites. I'm glad we decided to do it. So the Rougarou. Creepy swamp tales surrounding one Cajun creature have spooked some families living along the bayous for generations. Legend says the Rougarou prowls Louisiana swamps to hunt down Catholics who don't observe Lent and children who <laughs> don't behave. Are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Because it's such a broad, like... <laughs> One is very oddly specific, and the other is just kids. Yeah. Many think it's to, you know, control the people, but... The Rougarou is a beastly werewolf or dog-like creature existing in the rich Cajun folklore along the swamps and bayous of southeast Louisiana. The most popular legend surrounding the Rougarou serves to warn Catholics who backslide on observing Lent, a time of fasting and abstaining in Catholicism and other Christian religions. One of the ways that you could become a Rougarou is if you did not deserve, observe Lent for seven years in a row. Yeah. You can become the Rougarou? You can. If you are a bad enough Catholic for seven years, you so will turn like into a werewolf. So it's like one of those things where it, if it like bites you, you become it? Um, yeah, it's very close to a werewolf. Another version of the legend was used to make kids behave, like we said. Parents would commonly tell their children, you better behave or the Rougarou is going to get you. It's really terrifying. Time to tell. Yeah. You gnaw your toes <laughs> off in your sleep. <laughs> Renditions of this spooky legend most likely spread from the French and French-Canadian settlers who eventually made their way into Cajun, Louisiana. Over generations, the stories may have morphed, but remain versions of cautionary tales, as do most um, things that we do our children and tell them when they're young. We're sick, sadistic people. So is this like a... Is this more so like folklore or is this like something that people have actually seen? Um, I believe it's both. So let's keep on reading and then we'll find out. There are apparently other ways you can morph into a Rougarou <laughs> besides just being a bad Catholic. I want to know them. I want to become one. Another way is if we you were cursed by someone. So you could be cursed by somebody you pissed off and they could curse you to become the Rougarou. To get rid of that curse, you have to get someone else to cut you and draw your blood. When that person cuts you, the curse would transfer onto them, releasing you of the curse. But then you would in turn be cursing that person and making them a Rougarou. There are ways you can protect yourself from the Rougarou. Placing 13, this part made me laugh so hard. <laughs> Placing 13 pennies or rocks on your doorstep or windowsill was one tradition to protect your home from the Rougarou. When the Rougarou tries to break into a home, the creature becomes perplexed and keeps trying to count the items. 
Since the creature doesn't know the number 13, the pennies keep the monster at bay continuously counting until it has to retreat back into the swamps until sunrise. Because apparently the Rougarou is not good at math and can only count to 12. What? For reals. Um, another Where are they getting these things? <laughs> another tradition is putting a colander on your doorstep. And it's the same thing because there's so many holes in the colander. The Rougarou will just sit there and constantly count them until it runs away. So, yeah, it is a oh, very... A fest? There is a Rougarou fest. And I would really like to go to that. It's going on right now, I believe. Um, it's pretty cool. So whether you believe in the transformation into the Ruger or not, you, um, many Cajuns would tell you that you still need to beware of the Ruger. And it's a really cool looking mm -hmm. thing. Your dad has that t-shirt that we got down yeah. in New Orleans with the Ruger on it. Just kind of, it looks like a werewolf. Yeah. Very much like a werewolf. It's, um, so like typically... I feel like I didn't really focus much on werewolves growing up because they were kind of, like, lame to me <laughs> as far as, like, uh, monsters go. I wasn't really interested in werewolf movies as much as others. Caleb said that last night, too. He said that they just don't scare him, and I think no. they're some of the scarier things. They don't scare me either. I mean, that scene in Trick or Treat is scary with the werewolf, like, girls. Mm -hmm. Like, but outside of that, not really. But I guess... Has it always been that if you get bit by a werewolf, you turn into mm -hmm. one? Uh, actually, sometimes it's bit or scratched. Okay. I almost wonder if that's like a... Um, so then what are we even like I almost wonder afraid if it's, of? <laughs> I almost wonder if it stemmed from rabies. Like, can they kill you? Werewolves? Yeah, they tear you apart. But then why wouldn't you just turn into one? You do. But being cursed to be a werewolf and have to live in the woods. Have you ever seen American Werewolf in Yeah, London? but I guess like my idea of werewolves have always been like human or something that looks like a human that then morphs into a wolf. That's if you're time. that's if you're bitten or scratched and not killed. So okay. they can kill you and just dismember you and that's usually how werewolves kill people. They just rip you apart. Well we need the Bell Witch's silver bullet for that <laughs> because I don't know where they got silver bullet for witches, but that's for werewolves. You don't need that. You just need pennies and a calendar. Not the Rougarou. I don't want to kill the Rougarou. No, it's it's pretty cool. You're gonna come eat your toes, pine tell. You're gonna have to tell people what you're talking about with pine and tell because they're all like, "What the hell is Emmett on right now?" Every year, it's like a family tradition in our house that we watch the throwback SNL Christmas episodes, and they like put a Christmas special together where they have like the best Christmas skits of all time. And my favorite one is John Malkovich reading Twas the Night Before Christmas to like a group of four and five year olds on the ground and he keeps like taking pauses and talks about Pinatel who is like where the origin of Santa Claus comes from and yeah. he comes to you have to leave a stick of butter out for him <laughs> or he'll eat your toes. It's, it's which is what this reminded yeah, me of. It's something, let me tell you. If you haven't watched that, you need to because John Malkovich is my fave. He offers them um, cough drops, menthol cough <laughs> yeah. drops as a snack. <laughs> He's like, feel free to have one of these menthol-ladums. Anyone want a treat? Um, yeah, it's crazy. We need to do an update here at the end on our Gabby Petito, Brian Laundry um, episode that we did a, last Sunday, a week ago. Because I'm pretty sure within like two days of us it posting that. It was real that, close episode um i'm sure all of you know uh remains skeletal remains were found in the carlton reserve that were positively identified as brian laundry which is not the end that most people wanted 
I didn't want. No. I would, maybe it's like the sick, sadistic part in me that really wanted to see him have to do the perp walk, but. Well, and even just the closure that would have given her family at right. actually having him in custody and maybe forcing him to talk. Yeah. Would have been nice. Right. But the right. condition of his body leads everyone to suspect he had been dead for a considerable amount of time, probably within the first day or so of him running away from home. I mean, that's what I would assume. But also people are like really confused and I get it. It, It's weird. But if you think logically, it is not weird that he was a skeleton at all because he was found in a part of the swamp that had been previously like chest deep water. He's in... Florida, like southern Florida weather, so hot, humid, wet, damp. You have all of the bugs and the animals that live in that wildlife reserve. And a lot of forensic experts have said that given the climate and the elements and everything that he was in, that he could have become fully skeletal within like three days. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's not that weird. Like people were like, well, I don't get how he was fully skeletal and they never said that she was. Completely different climates, completely different areas, um, different circumstances. I'm trying to think what the exact quote was that, um, oh yeah, the locals, remember I told you what the locals said about that area that he was in was full of, quote, evil wild hogs. They said yeah, they were like some of the boars. most aggressive wild boars they'd ever seen. And that. And you mix that with possible alligators. I mean, he wasn't definitely a had fully, alligators. fully intact skeleton. Which makes me think that he was 100% disturbed, his remains were disturbed by wildlife, because there'd be no reason why, unless he was murdered. I think he was partial remains, they said. They just, like, found his head and, like, some other things. It was very few. It wasn't like his full skeleton was intact, and they just found that. Yeah. Um, Which, if you do think that is the case, that sounds weird. Like, what they just found is fully intact skeleton. Right. No, they didn't. And they also found his backpack his notebook, and I guess today they said a water bottle of some sort. There's a lot of conflicting reports about that. Some agents are saying that's not accurate, that it was all falsified by someone, so who knows. But they definitely did find his backpack. His dad found his backpack, and the FBI found his notebook not too far from it. In his um, water-tight bag. Yeah. No. I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. I'm starting to pity his parents a little bit because they oh, are... Oh, it's horrible. They're going through... They've lost their son. They're going through some really horrible hardship also. Yeah, it doesn't absolve them of judgment or however you want to feel about the way that they reacted, but... They, they made a very poor choice right. in choosing not to speak to Gabby's family and the authorities, and I'm sure no one regrets that any more than they do right now because had they done that... Brian probably wouldn't have gone off and he would not be dead. Yeah. Instead of like sheltering him from potential guilt or the the law and letting him, you know, run from his potential fate. Right. That is why he is where he is today. And I'm sure they feel horrible. No one wants, he's 22, 23 years old. Like right. It's a horrible end for everyone involved. I'm sure Gabby's family said that they're currently working on a statement. I'm sure they feel horrible. I mean... Yeah. Everyone's losing everyone. It's a lose-lose situation right. for everyone involved. It's the most tragic Romeo and Juliet story ever. It's awful. And, to be fair, he has still not been accused of killing her. I mean, the FBI has still not... Well, now that he's gone, I don't think he will. I mean, they may have known some information they haven't released yet about something else, and that's why it never 
became a he never became an actual suspect. He's always been a person of interest. And I'm not saying I don't think he did it because I think he did. But at this point, he's an innocent man who's dead, and his family you get off their lawn. Just yeah, let him, stop just let that. Him be. It's an I'm I am a proponent for like First Amendment, whatever you want to protest, you have the right to do that. There is absolutely no need to, to be on their somebody. front lawn an hour after they got confirmed news that their son perished. Right. They don't even have a body to bring home. They're you know? cremating what they like, have and having just a... leave them alone. Um, worry about that later. Give them some time. It's in Stephen Bertolino, their attorney is an idiot, but he is right. Back off. Yeah, Give them some time. They should have hired somebody new a long time ago. That man just continues to make them look bad. Saying things like, Brian was grieving when he left, when Gabby's body hadn't been found for two whole days before he, or after he left, makes it seem like they all knew what was going on. I mean, he needs to shut up. He does not do them any favors yeah. whatsoever. No. There's a, if you're interested in watching some like recent interviews, he did one a couple days ago with, um, I don't know her name, but she's a journalist with some local news agency and she did a great job because he doesn't want to answer a lot of questions and I understand that he can't answer a lot of questions, but he got very angry and very unprofessional. Like he started cussing at her and like, I think he's like been bullshit. The yeah. Time. Which is just like not something you really do <laughs> as an attorney. Like you kind of want to like not let your emotions get the best of you. And I understand that he's known Brian in his words, since he was in diapers, I mean, he's a 25-year-long family friend. Right. Um, so I'm sure he is upset, and I'm sure, but, like, your job, first and foremost, is their attorney. Mm -hmm. So act accordingly. Yeah. It's a horrible end to the story. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever really know. Probably not. And it's sad. It's a really sad... I mean, there definitely will be more information that comes out, but mm -hmm. I don't think any of it's going to offer full closure to anyone. But if you still want to donate, Gabby Petito's family is doing amazing things right now. So, GabbyPetitoFoundation.org. We have one last little update from one of our previous listener stories that we shared. So, we got this update from Krista the other day. She was the one that had the ice maker story that we read. And she sent it to me yesterday morning. So, as I'm getting ready to go to Scott's grandpa's funeral this morning... I asked my daughter which pairs of shoes I would wear with my dress. And guess what happened? Ice came out of her fridge onto our floor. We thought for sure that was Scott's sister telling us hello as we were getting ready for the funeral. That's sweet. Yeah. So we're really sorry for your loss again for your family. It's really sad, but I'm glad that they're still reaching out to you from your ice machine, which appears to be a <laughs> conduit to the other side. Yeah, you can't ever get rid of that ice machine. Yeah, you're going to have to keep that in all your future homes. <laughs> So that, I thought, was kind of an uplifting little story. And she, we've talked about that. That ice machine is perfect all the other time. It does not have a glitch. It's just when they're talking about family stuff, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, me too. All right, well, thanks for listening to the Monsters and Mixers podcast. Please follow us on our socials on Facebook at Monsters and Mixers Pod, on Twitter at Monsters Mixers, and on Instagram at Monsters and Mixers Podcast. I gotta go get ready for a Halloween party. <laughs> Yay. Um, like and follow us on your preferred listing platform. Leave a five-star rating and send us those stories via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com or at one of the aforementioned socials. See you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a... Oh, well, next time might be a BYOB. Yeah, and uh, next week is Halloween, so I don't know when we will update, yeah, we'll upload, see. because Sunday's Halloween. 
We got some creepy stuff. And we got do. some drinking and fun to be had, so I'm not sure if we're going to be in podcast mode on Sunday. We might. We'll see. <laughs> so, see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new and delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts. Make some toasts. And happy Halloween.